Protesters win, but have they saved democracy? On today's Wait What? This is Wait What? Politics with Zuma and Steele. Wait What? is your political recap. We'll tell you who's making news and what it means to liberals and progressives everywhere. And we'll interview the newsmakers that make it happen. So from the nation's capital, here's reporter Jimmy Zuma. And from the great state of Arizona, here's Senator Victoria Steele. It seems these days history is being made every day, even every hour. Things that have never happened in this country are happening. And we, we just continue to make record-breaking news history is being made as we speak. Oh, it's incredible, all the things that have been happening. I mean, I've said before on this show, there's a lot happening this week, but it can't rival this week. This week, so many things have happened. You know, one of which is, I don't think we have to worry about the black vote anymore. I think they're going to turn out in big numbers after they've uh, seen the way the police have handled this over the course of the last eight days of this. And then the other thing is I think we might be surprised by how many people, how big the youth vote is this time. Because these people have been out in the streets. Not only have they been involved firsthand in in this part of democracy, but they've also been involved in uh, being harassed or beaten or shot or gassed by the police in many, many cities. So they have that experience. And I think that that's one of the things that galvanized voting in the 70s among young people. And it's something we're likely to see again. And today, one of the biggest news items of today is that all four of the cops involved in the murder of George Floyd are going to be charged. Oh, this was great news. And this just happened a little bit before we started the show. And um, the response around the country uh, um, at the protests was huge. I mean, it's so exciting that uh, this kind of mobilization on a mass scale can really bring about change in the legal system. You know, we went from several days ago, an autopsy, a preliminary autopsy saying strangulation wasn't the uh, cause of the death of uh, George Floyd to a private autopsy that said that it was, asphyxiation was, and uh, a, a later finding from the, um, the, the official autopsy that, that it was. So, so many things have changed. And then, of course, we had the charges for the one officer, the weakest charges you could have third degree murder. I mean, their their manslaughter is below that, but they're pretty much on an equal basis in the law. But then today it gets upgraded to second degree murder. I think it might go to first degree, actually, if they find a connection between some grudge he had from this bar they both worked at. So they have, um, um, they're, they're saying it is second degree murder for Chauvin or for the right. other cops? Well, yes and no. They're saying it's for for, uh, Derek Chauvin. It's second-degree murder. It was third-degree murder. For the other three officers, they were not charged. They were free. But they have been charged with being an accessory to murder. Now, in most states, I don't know how it is in in, uh, Minnesota, but in most states, that means that you are guilty of the crime, essentially. If you're the, you know, getaway driver... Or if you're the guy who's the the watch guy out in the back of the store you're robbing, whatever it is, and you murder somebody, 
that other person who's an accessory to the crime is just as guilty as you are and can serve the same penalties that you do. So essentially, they've all been charged with murder and related murder. So Chavin has been, his charges have been upgraded to murder two, and on the others, it's aiding and abetting for the other three. Right. Aiding and abetting. So that means they're just as guilty as the, the identified perpetrator. And that's mm. the important thing to know about that. That's not a small charge in a murder no. case. And protesters loved that. They started chanting, we got them all, black, brown, yeah. white. And then they started singing, We Shall Overcome. Let's break that down. The protesters chant, We got them all, black, brown, white. What are they saying? What's the reason? Well, it's, we it's got really them two all separate part? chants. They repeated, We got them all over and over and over. And that was their celebration of their, their efforts working to move the legal so, system to a fair application of justice. So they got all four officers charged. Right. We got them all. And that was, of course, the goal of this thing from the beginning, to have all four, four of these officers charged with murder. So everybody's pretty happy. You know, mixed feelings, because this pretty much is now the, the people have to find a new reason to, to be together. You know, there's always this kind of a letdown at the end of a long protest. And then the other is the likelihood that these guys will be found guilty. The odds are that they won't. And everybody knows that. So this is just the beginning. I mean, I right, and we have the day that that um, Mr. Floyd will be buried, and we can expect that that will be a very intense day. Um, the other charge or the other chant was black, brown, white. What are they saying there? Well, they're saying that there's a new coalition, and it's not racially based. These young people all marched together. They all helped each other. They all pulled each other out of harm's way when the police had a riot. And that's a new coalition. Black, brown, white is the coalition of young people. Uh, and it's interracial. And it's not racial. So that was what they meant to say by black, brown, white. And I think we're going to hear this becoming a regular part of, of young people's advocacy. Because they really do live in a multicultural age group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to hear that. And then, of course, they sang We Shall Overcome, which is the anthem of civil rights and has been since I was marching in the 70s. So as these protests are, are now entering their eighth day, they've, they've actually gone worldwide. You, you see protests in, in, in different cities in Europe, and they're not just a few hundred people. There are thousands of people in other countries protesting in solidarity. Right, and huge protests in London just today. Huge protests. In fact, mm -hmm. um, they, one commentator said these are usually, these are bigger protests than are usually allowed to uh, happen here. So I think that there's a worldwide outcry, and I think people are, basically responding to the conditions in the United States. They're not just, this is not just about the murders. This is about uh, their fear that the United States is becoming a totalitarian state. And they're not alone in that. I mean, a lot of us feel that way. I've been saying that for a long time. When I started saying that, people said I was crazy. Yeah. You know, the idea that Trump wanted to have a dictatorship for the first couple of years of his administration, I would say that and people would say I was crazy. 
But now what's happening is in China, their leaders are saying, oh, Americans are, are hypocritical because we were critical about Tiananmen Square and the protesting and how they handled those protests and the, the way that we were critical of how China handled the Hong Kong protests and what's happening there and that we're just hypocritical because we're doing the same things. And they're right. Yes, they're right. They're totally right. And, you know, let's just take Monday for an example. Donald Trump's Monday started out with a, a mm. call with uh, Vladimir Putin, which I'm sure was him saying, hey, daddy, what should I do about this? To which Putin said, well, you got to show it, make a strong showing. You got to, you know, really crack down on these protesters. So then he had a call with the governors at noon that frankly shocked them. These governors were for the most part, shocked by what Trump was saying about how he planned oh, to hurt protesters. But not Arizona's governor. Our governor, Doug Ducey, decided he was going to brag about declaring martial law, essentially. He, he created, over the weekend, Sunday night, he declared a state of emergency, put in a curfew, and brought out the National Guard. Just the other night, we had a string of armored vehicles, Hummers, military armored vehicles, circling, surrounding the state capital where I work. That's just mm -hmm. overkill. And I'm not being ironic with the use of words. I'm being very deliberate with the word overkill. It's a show of force. When you don't know how to fix a problem, you clamp down and become very forceful because you don't know any other way. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me get back to the timeline. So he has a call with Vladimir Putin. He promises that governor demands that the governors crack down on all the protesters in all their states because he can't mm -hmm. get the mayors to do it. Um, and they're all kind of frightened by this. And they maybe start thinking for the rest of the afternoon, what's going to happen here? And then he uses military police and secret service agents to assault peaceful protesters. And I want to tell you, this is what happened. These peaceful, peaceful protesters were there. And then the, a combination of Secret Service and military police, one next to the other, came out and beat people and attacked people and shot people and um, used tear gas. But, you know, the, and then the next day they're saying, well, that wasn't CS gas to try and fool you. But it was another kind of tear gas. <laughs> and, you know, of course, one reporter picked up a canister. So we have absolute proof of that. So when they say there was no tear gas, they're saying a lie. So anyway, that was a huge problem. And then later on that night, you know, the D.C. police were rampaging a little bit. This is after three nights of police riots. So things are looking pretty bad. We're thinking things are looking pretty bad. We've had three nights of police riots. They have, in fact, uh, maimed... Uh, attacked, bruised, beaten. They were throwing people to the ground. They were beating them with clubs uh, for no reason. And, and then they came deliberately this... targeted journalists, too. Well, that's the other thing that happened. This, these pol this police riot, and I think the one on Saturday, which was the big one, I think it was planned by the police unions because it seemed to be well-coordinated what the activities were going to be for that night. And one of them involved, first, attack the journalists so they will go home. Now, luckily, our 
U.S. journalists, that didn't really work. They stayed on the job, and they filmed, right. and they got shot. The Australian journalist um, got maimed at this Monday event. And, um, you know, all of these people are being you, – you see video of the police directly targeting them and shooting at them. You see it over and over and over in the video right. of these three nights of police riots. So their attempt was get rid of the media so that we can uh, – rampage in private and that didn't really work but then we get to monday and and that's the moment where our democracy became most at peril because the military mm -hmm. was brought in the united states military active duty not the national guard the united states military active duty was brought in to beat peaceful protesters and the chinese are right we have nothing to complain about them that we haven't done ourselves now for the first mm -hmm. time in our 235-year history, That's that right. happened. And right. at that point, I was most afraid for democracy. I got to say, that's the moment that I was most afraid for democracy. And then, of course, the protests continued and grew. The next day, after Trump's rampage and after some police rampaging on Monday night, but that was only the D.C. police rampaging on Monday night. The next day, it was clear that the protests were going to grow. The protests grew and grew and grew because people were not only protesting the Floyd death, they were now protesting uh, the police, the military beating citizens, peaceful citizens. Everybody saw it. Everybody in D.C. knew about right. it. The right. protests in D.C. have grown. The protests in New York have grown. And then another thing happened, which was curious. The uh, and, and Monday night. Several police officers got shot and a few got killed. So that's the other event that happened Monday night. But we predict we've been predicting that for since the beginning of this, that if the police assault people, number one, those people are going to be angry. They're going to break things. And eventually, for the next couple of years, probably the police are going to be targets in the dark. But we already saw that happening Monday. But then a curious thing happened Tuesday, Tuesday night. The protests continued to grow, continued to get bigger and bigger. People came and said, I'm protesting what happened yesterday at the White House, and I'm protesting these curfews, which are meant to stop people from exercising their constitutional rights. So the protests grew exponentially in ways that you can't imagine, including old people, people from the street. And they came and the police stopped. They stopped rampaging. They stopped attacking uh, protesters. And curiously, even though the protests were much bigger, there was very little, if any, violence Tuesday night. And that was the end of the police trying to defeat the people that were protesting against the police. The police, I guess because some of them got shot or because Trump scared them or because they fear for democracy or maybe all of those things, they didn't attack on Tuesday night anywhere in the country. They didn't attack people. And as a result, there was really no violence. So you can see how the police can provoke violence. And you can see how the police, when they are not busy meeting out collective punishment to protesters, can easily walk there and arrest any bad actors and arrest any looters. They arrested a bunch of looters on Tuesday night because they weren't at war with peaceful protesters. That's so right. you can see how they can start violence, and that's part of what they were trying to do Monday. There was this aggress and release tactic that the 
the military police and the Secret Service were doing. And how this works is they aggress a few steps forward, and then they come back. And then when the protesters fill in that hole, they then say they were being attacked by the protesters, and they start beating them. That's aggress and release. That's what that, that does. And I don't know if that's the police name for it, but that's what I call it. Curiously, these savvy Washington protesters, it didn't work on them. They did not fill in the gap and get beaten and fill in the gap and be used as a provocation. But there's another thing that happened Monday night that's worth talking about, and that's that the D.C. police uh, corralled hundreds of people on one street in Washington and they trapped them there. And again, the, the goal, they call it kettling. Now, what kettling means, don't misunderstand what kettling means. It doesn't mean just hold people. The purpose of kettling is that you surround people and then you close in on them and they have nowhere to go and they have nowhere to go. This is another police tactic for creating violence. And what we really need is the police to be exercising de-escalating techniques and not aggressive, violent creation, violence creating techniques. And here's how uh, perverse kettling is. It's named for the idea that you compress and then the top blows like a tea kettle. Mm. That's what they were trying to do. But something mm. miraculous happened Monday night when the D.C. police were kettling. People opened their doors. People in the neighborhood opened their doors and let people in and let those trapped people come to their house or leave out their back alley or just stay there all night. Now, they tried this in Phoenix they tried this in, in, in the Garfield district in Phoenix the other night. And after they trapped people, there were people that were standing in their own yards, on their own porches, on the sidewalk in front of their own houses. And they were beat up and they were taken in. They were trying to arrest them and then they let, later let them go. But they dropped them off at a hospital without their belongings. They, these were people on their own property who were not out there beating up on the police. They were not throwing things at the officers. They were peacefully protesting, and they, they were trapped. This began as a protest of a police murder. And then the police, you know, the police are very upset at the idea that they might not be free to murder people. I don't really understand the psychology of it. But every time you try and stop police from having the ability to callously murder people— they get all up in arms. You know, they get their back up and they decided to handle these protests this way in an aggressive way. And they used all the tactics, you know, they're, they're, this whole thing about outside agitators that you hear. Well, Nixon started that myth. Nixon started the myth of the outside agitator. These people from the neighborhood, it's not them. It's these other people. And that's just an excuse to make the public be OK with you beating people up. It's not a real thing. Of course, we had some white supremacist outside agitators, and they're always looters when something like this happens. And when the police are fighting with the protesters, they can't take care of the looters. But when the police are cooperating with the protesters and allowing them to protest, they can take care of the looters. But what we saw is the police trying to uh, stifle a demonstration against police murder. Mm -hmm. And we'll see some of that. You know, that will not go away. That will go away. Maybe when this next generation is fully in charge, because they're not going to put up with it. But 
It's just a tragedy that people can't demonstrate peacefully. And now we've crossed the line. We brought the military into it. So after getting a lot of criticism from retired generals and people in the service and having people uh, resign from service under him, Secretary Defense Secretary Mike Espy came out this morning, which is Wednesday, and announced that he didn't believe in use of the Insurrection Act and he didn't believe in the use of military, active duty military for protesting. This felt like to me, I got really hopeful that maybe the coup attempt wasn't a coup attempt. It was just Trump being a scared little boy in the basement. And um, he is that. I mean, he, 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 was, he was hiding in the bunkers, probably wetting his pants because he's a scared <laughs> little baby. And, right. and then he, he talks to Putin and Putin says, oh, you got to go out and be strong. You got to go out. And, yeah. And then use this opportunity to take control is the other thing that dictators do. You know, yeah. uh, fascists, as we know from Jason Stanley, always try and use chaos to take control. So we had the coronavirus. We had the police murder. We had these big protests. I'm sure that Putin told him now's your chance to take control. And Trump tried to do that. So Mike Espy had this this basically uh, come to Jesus moment and said, I don't believe in doing that. And it felt like maybe we'd cross the line that maybe the military wasn't going to allow themselves to be dragged into this. But that's not what happened. It's not. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just uh, just late today, Wednesday. Um Mike Espy held a second press conference and announced that he really didn't oppose using military force. And that he really wasn't saying that that was I wonder if happen. somebody talked to him about that. Yeah. So at this point, <laughs> you know, we can flip-flopped on his flip-flop. Right. You know. And in th at this point, he's um Defense Secretary Toady. I call him Secretary of the Army Toady. You yeah. know, uh, he's not the he's not the decent person who is going to draw a line for us for democracy. Well, something else that I've seen in in recent days is several different pictures on, on you know video of police officers taking a knee, hugging black people, talking with them, listening to them, putting their arm around them. Um, and, you know, I, I know that's what we want to see, and I like seeing that. I really do, because that gives me hope. But at the same time, I, I, I'm wondering if this is like an abusive partner who, after beating his wife, brings her flowers and apologies and says exactly what she means needs to hear. I didn't mean it. I see things clearly now. I'll do better. I won't ever do it again until the next time. And yeah, we, we don't. We don't need empty words. We don't need empty gestures. We need changes in policies. We need to change the police department policies. And that happens at the state level. That happens at the legislature. And just yesterday, um, the Arizona legislature, the Democrats um, in the legislature put out a, a letter to the governor demanding that we call a special session in which we not only deal with COVID-19 issues, which we must deal with, but to the 
other most pressing need, and that is to deal with racism and police brutality in our communities. So we've, we've come up with a long list of things that we are demanding, including officers wearing body cameras at all times, all instances of deadly use of force fully investigated. A creation of a police database. So this is to prevent those so-called bad apple officers from being able to jump from agency to agency and, you know, get in trouble over here. That's okay. You'll come over here and you'll work over there and nobody knows because there's no database right now. We also want to have officer training to include cultural sensitivity and de-escalation methods, what we're just talking about here. We also want something called limited quality or limited qualified immunity that allows a peace officer to be sued for simple negligence or actions and omissions that are carried out while on duty. That's just not happening. We need them to be held accountable. Yes, and and on the national level, Democrats are forwarding legislation to outlaw uh, chokeholds as a civil rights violation that the federal government can can uh, prosecute so that officers who uh, kill or maim or conduct themselves by using chokeholds would be subject to federal civil rights prosecution. Mm-hmm. That's another big step forward that will help. And, and really, most of the people in the country support this. Right. Uh, you know, most Democrats, most independents, Two to one, independents two to one say they are sympathetic to the protesters and believe in their cause and believe that police use racism in their practice of policing. So there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of opposition to this. Um, The Monmouth poll also found that uh, by far people are not happy with Trump's method on this. And, you know, it may be that this Monday, if we get to the election, this Monday will be the moment in which Trump lost it because the response to him attacking peaceful protesters. And again, we all saw it on TV. You know, it was all right there. Peaceful protesters, cops line up, cops aggress. We saw people, you know, and the, and the military police had these little round plexiglass shields. You're used to seeing the big square plexiglass shields that the police have. The little round ones are weapons and they use them as weapons and they have a reinforced outer ring so they can be used as weapons and they use them in the way Vikings used them. They try to choke people with them. They try to hit people in the chest with them. And um, those little round shields, they're a weapon. So let's not kid ourselves about what the purpose is. And we saw them doing that. We saw them actually do it in the chest of a female reporter. Hit her very hard with this uh, shield. And we saw them do it to other people. We saw them knock into people's heads with the shield. We saw them... Use it as a weapon. And we can't have that. We can't have no, we can't. We will, we collective will punishment of peaceful protesters. We will remember June 1st, 2020, as the day President Trump lost his bid for re-election because he declared war on the people. And then the other thing that happened here is, you know, last week I predicted that Trump would get a couple of point bump out of this. Uh, which is what you always expect. Always throughout history, two things have been true. One is Republicans have benefited from social unrest. And two, they've been able to use this myth of the outside agitator to uh, quell protest. 
Neither one of those things happened work. this time. The myth didn't work. Uh, didn't and it work. turns out Joe Biden's lead expanded this week. <laughs> he, 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 he took a point from Trump. Now, he's right at 49.3% now. And Trump is at 41.3. Wow. Uh, why is that significant? Because 49.3 is less than a point from 50. And 50 is what you need to win. <laughs> so... We're looking at uh, Joe Biden sealing the uh, nomination this week with the next set of primaries on Thursday. And we're looking so at let's, him. Uh, let's let's look at, at the Democratic primaries from Tuesday night, though, real, real quickly. Mm -hmm. We just have a few minutes, um, I think, because as we're in this attempt to save our democracy, I think it's really important to look at anything that's hopeful. And the Democratic primaries um, this Tuesday night on June 2nd were quite interesting. There were there were seven states that had primaries and D.C., and Biden swept them all. Yeah, Maryland, Pennsylvania. It's going to be an important state in the election. Pennsylvania, yeah. Uh, Indiana, Rhode Island, New Mexico, Montana, and South Dakota. And, you know, Biden won by about 70% or more in all of those. Now, he was running against Bernie Sanders, who got the majority of those other votes, that extra 28 percent mm -hmm. in every one of these races. But Biden was the clear winner, and he has amassed, he's probably within 20 points of securing the nomination as we speak, and not all of these elections are final. So he may secure it based on Tuesday's elections, but he will certainly secure it based on Thursday's elections. He will have enough delegates that he has won the Democratic nomination. Okay. And right. the other thing that's notable is that lines were very long. You know, lines were hours long in Maryland and D.C. Wow. to vote. Uh, people good. are enthusiastic about voting. They're enthusiastic about voting for Democrats. We're seeing these primaries really show that the enthusiasm from 2018 has carried over into 2020. And that's part of why I predict that Trump really doesn't have a prayer. So really cool news there. It's up and down. You know, good things happen. It's a wonderful thing these police officers were charged. It's a bad thing that Trump's trying to use the military to suppress dissent. That's a dictator thing. That's an authoritarian mm -hmm. thing. And even CNN is now calling these authoritarian actions. Certainly, all the rest of the world is calling them authoritarian actions. Members of the CIA, retired people from the CIA who were supposed to watch out for dictatorship emerging in other countries in the world say, if this was another country and, and I was still working, I would point out this country as a place where democracy is failing. The, the attempted coup here in the U.S. is still in effect. Our democracy is still in peril. And we have to vote. We cannot allow the election to be postponed or delayed or canceled. We have to vote. We are, our democracy is in trouble. The good news is, though, that Trump had hoped, I guess after Putin's instructions, he had hoped that he could get all the governors in all the states to roll out the troops for him. Right. And the only place he was able to control is the District of Columbia. Now, that's, of course, because the District of Columbia is isn't a state um, and it's, you know, it has its own local uh, governance, and it has a member of Congress, a non-voting member of Congress, but they are really owned by the federal government, and the federal government can can do or veto anything they want within the district. So, and that, the only as a reminder, state, is where you are. 
you are in right. D.C. And I'm in That's Arizona, right where so. I am, right in the thick yes. of Trump's coup attempt. Now, I would call this a failed coup attempt, frankly, because if he can only roll out the troops in one state, and that's all he was able to do. Now, there were some show of force things that, you know, Ducey and some other twerpy governors uh, did. But for the most part, the tanks weren't rolling all over the country like he had hoped. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then there wasn't the, and the cops weren't beating people as he had hoped. Nothing that he hoped would happen, happened. So, bad news, Trump's using the military. Good news, he wasn't able to use it in the way that he wanted. Bad news, Trump's beaten the protesters. Good news, today the tr the protesters won their cause. A whiplash of democratic and non-democratic activities. But more important than all of that, keep an eye on what's happening in your community. Keep your nose yes. to the ground. Watch what the police are doing. Watch how they're organizing. And watch what the military is doing. There should be no reason for active duty soldiers to be on your streets. And if they are, you have to act. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Wait What? Don't forget to like us, subscribe, and put a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, and remember, email us your tips and your comments to tipline at waitwhat.media. Again, that's tipline at waitwhat.media. And you know what? You can also leave a voice message on our uh, website now. At, at well, that's it for today's show. You can click if you find yourself saying, wait, what? Don't worry. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Subscribe Bye. to Wait, What? Politics with Zuma and Steel on your favorite podcast app or visit waitwhat.media and try out our quick takes. So here's the thing. Commentary from Victoria Steele and the Zop topical explainers from Jimmy Zuma. I'm Monica Price.